0: Feisty, fearless,
1: and fair, telling all sides of the story. This is The Rita Cosby Show.
2: And welcome to The Rita Cosby Show. We are now seeing that teenager Baron Trump's room was searched. And so far, Hunter Biden's home or many of his hotel rooms across the globe have not been raided. Does that seem like justice? Does that seem fair? And now, some new surprising details of what was actually seized during the Mar a Lago raid. This will really make you think it was a fishing expedition, and it clearly was over the top. And joining us now to discuss all of this is the great investigative journalist and founder of Just the News, John Solomon. John, great to have you here on
3: the show. Great to be with you, Rita.
2: Tell us what was seized in the raid, because you have some new details that are really stunning.
3: Yeah, listen, when you go through Judge Eileen Cannon's order from Friday, or Monday, where she appoints the uh, special master at Donald Trump's request, you start to see the breadth of the search, uh, the breadth of the seizure, and how many of the materials exceed what the search warrant authorized. For instance... There are 500 pages of attorney-client privilege documents that were picked up by the FBI. That should be concerning to anyone. Uh, agents are normally trained that if something is between an attorney that you don't grab it or you, uh, you isolate it and protect it. There were tax records from the president's uh, time. They're clearly not mentioned in the search warrant but gathered. There were his medical records, the president's personal physician records, medical records seized. That clearly is not mentioned as an as item that can be seized within uh, the thing. And it, and you go through it, there's clothing that was done, passports. All these items were not itemized on the search warrant as targets of the search warrant. And therefore, they're unlawfully collected. It's what is known in the FBI parlance as over-collection, evidence that shouldn't have been collected. Now, the second part of it is that the, uh, the Justice Department kept going to the court saying, we don't need a special master, we don't need an independent person to look at this because we've got an honor system we call the filter team or the taint team. And they went through everything and they've protected everything. And the judge went and found out that's not true. Some of the attorney-client privilege documents that were improperly gathered by the FBI during the raid ultimately were given to the investigators on the front lines of the case. So that that taint team, that that filter team didn't work. It didn't protect President Trump's constitutional rights. And so when you see that level of detail in the judge's ruling, you begin to see an FBI that had on what was going to be its most famous search in years, right, maybe its most famous raid in the half century, they didn't even get the basics of search warrant um, uh, practices down. We interviewed the former assistant director for intelligence of FBI, the guy that sort of would oversee a case like the one involving Trump and classified documents. He said that the FBI's performance is so deeply troubling that they gathered way too much information. They made a uh, search warrant that was too broad by the definitions of the manual. He actually thinks a judge is going to toss out the search warrant and all of the uh, fruits that were uh, derived from it. That's uh, an FBI, pro-FBI guy warning that the FBI overstepped its bounds.
2: Wow, that's stunning. So what do you think the chances are? You heard it from him, but did others say the same thing? Because that would be huge, John.
3: We've talked to lots of lawyers. Uh, we've talked to uh, Alan Dershowitz. We've talked to several prosecutors. We had one of the president, President Trump's uh, lawyers, Alina Habah, on the uh, podcast on Friday, my podcast on Friday, and she said they are preparing what is known as a Title 41G challenge, I meaning they're going to challenge the constitutionality of the search warrant, saying it was too broad, it overcollected information, even though it was too broad. That's going to bring a second issue into the judge's courtroom. Right now, the only issue before the courtroom is— Let's segregate the documents that the FBI shouldn't have gathered and, and get them back to the president and, and protect them from the eye, the prying eyes of the government. Now you may have a, a constitutional challenge to the entire search. If that were to be uh, ruled upon and if the FBI were to have uh, exceeded its authority, it would be an enormous black eye for the Justice Department, the FBI. And, and people like Kevin Brock, who normally chair on the FBI, they're very big supporters of the FBI, Kevin Brock very respected as a former assistant director, it is rare to see them call out their agency so overtly as they've done over the last week or so.
2: Yeah, that is stunning. Now, you know, it's amazing when you talk about all these documents and you bring up the attorney client privilege, First of all, you can't undo it. Once you've seen something, uh, you know, we're trusting what the honor system that they're not going to be whispering at the water cooler, even if they end up ultimately having to return those documents. They've seen it. They've seen the tax documents. They've seen medical, personal medical information. I mean, that to me Is just so over the top, and it's hard to say, oh, well, even if we're not going to use it, even if all those things ultimately go back to President Trump, as it sounds like they clearly should, um, we know now that those agents have seen it.
3: Yeah, and you can't undo it. That's exactly what the judge's <clears throat> order says, that there is a, a significant potential for the president to be injured, legally speaking, from the FBI's overcollection of evidence. That's what the judge says in this ruling. There's another thing that really jumps out. When you ask a Kevin Brock or you ask a longtime FBI agent, Why does the FBI normally do this? Does it really overcollect this much information? They point you to the DIOG, the, the domestic investigations that Uh, operations guide that every agent is trained at when they go to the uh, training academy in Quantico, and it's their Bible for how they act. And it is so clear in the manual that search warrants are to be constructed uh, with the uh, narrowest possible search terms, with the narrowest possible intrusions into a person's home or office, and uh, that that agents use the least intrusive, that's the exact quote from the guide, least intrusive means of gathering the evidence. When you see what the FBI did in this case, they're in uh, Barron Trump's room. They're in Melania's closet. They're taking attorney-client privileges, medical records, passports. It doesn't fit the training that these agents normally are given or that they strictly adhere to. In fact, one of the um, important lines in the dialogue is, is that it's important to have r- rigorous obedience to the concepts of, the, of this guide because that's how you protect someone's constitutional uh, rights. That's exactly what the, the dialogue says. You see an FBI in this Instance not abiding uh, by a manual that they use every day for search warrants every day. In fact, Kevin Brock said, I think drug dealers got more protections and in in searches and raids on their home than the former president did. Very troubling to compare the behavior now described and confirmed in court records with what the operations manual tells agents to do.
2: Yeah, and you can even see that uh, this judge, the district judge, Eileen Cannon, who granted the special master, she expressed deep concern. You know, I want to ask your thoughts, John Solomon. Of course, everybody, we're talking to the great journalist John Solomon, uh, founder of Just the News. John, what about these reports? I think it's Washington Post that's talking about in the documents there's something that's tied to nuclear secrets or nuclear capabilities of another country. What, What do you know on that?
3: We don't know much. I mean, there have been a lot of leaks, uh, a lot of expectations. It's the exact same game we saw played uh, during the Russia collusion case. Remember, there was irrefutable proof that President Trump was uh, coordinating his efforts to hijack the election with Vladimir Putin. In fact, The New York Times had a front-page story with anonymous sources saying that there were intercepts of the president's team talking to Russian uh, officials. We now know those stories were false. Those anonymous leaks were misleading in 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 many ways disinformation we simply don't know what it is no such document is described in the very detailed search warrant returns so if someone is leaking that they're going outside the bounds of what has been disclosed to the court when it's anonymous I've come to over the last six years I don't use anonymous sources very often I'm very dubious of them now because I've seen so many stories in the last four or five years that quoted anonymous sources that have been repeatedly debunked afterwards. And so I don't put as much stock in a Washington Post anonymous source story as I would have five or six years ago, which is surprising even to me. We just don't know. There's nothing in the court records to suggest that. What is in the court records is that there were documents with the markings of top secret and top secret compartmentalized. Those are very sensitive secrets. What the president's attorneys say in return is that, yeah, there may have been documents with those markings, but he declassified them while he was still president. And uh, we're going to be able to show that as we go through the court system. So, Every side, each side has their story. They've dug in. Uh, the government seems to leak anonymously. The president seems to be talking on the record. We'll see which one turns out to be true uh, as this winds to its court, because I think we're going to see a lot of things in the court filings of the next month.
2: Yeah, I think so too. And John Solomon, what about the admonishment of these leaks? I mean, that to me is stunning because they claim, oh gosh, you know, it would hurt the investigation. That's why we can't have this, you know, independent special master that was part of the DOJ contention. And yet they continue to leak like a sieve and without repercussions, John.
3: You know, the judge actually mentions that in her ruling for a second, saying that, you know, these leaks are problematic. And they note that the government said, well, we're, I, I, the official government lawyer, are, isn't, I'm not the one doing it, but I, they are troubling. Let me just read you a quote from the judge's ruling on Monday. When asked about the dissemination to the media of information relative to the contents of the seized records, government's counsel stated that he had no knowledge of any leaks stemming from his team, but candidly acknowledged. There was an unfortunate existence of leaks to the press. The government basically saying we don't know how to control ourselves from leaking is basically what the lawyer said. Uh, It is a problem, and one of the things that um, Alina Habab, that one of the president's attorneys, said on my podcast on Friday is she's planning or considering to – file, or the legal team is considering to file a motion uh, saying that grand jury secrecy has been violated and that uh, there should be a punishment to the government. And with these leaks being out there now, that is a real possible legal proceeding that President Trump's team could pursue. There's been an awful lot of leaks. uh, And on a a procedure where the government claims national security is at risk, and let's remember the most interesting of all leaks, the photographs that the FBI staged on the floor of the president's office, when you look at those, there is something really valuable that a foreign power could have gotten. They now know what the classified... um, Uh, folders look like and what markings are on the folders when a president gets the most sensitive intelligence. The idea that the FBI would put that out there for foreign powers to see could be used in the future to extract information from people or identify or corroborate leaked documents. And so the FBI's behavior, the government's behavior, not only is it full of leaks that concern the judge, there are some intelligence experts that have told me they're very concerned about the photo giving away some of the storage concepts of how presidential materials are marked classified.
2: That's a really interesting point. You're right, because maybe they had never seen it before and now they know what to look for. The other thing, too, John, is that the judge basically, and we're getting information, that essentially what it was like less than one percent of what they seized of the thousands upon thousands of documents actually may have even fit in a classified category. Of course, again. The president says he declassified, but just on the face of it, that's how minimal the other 99 percent was what?
3: Yeah, well, that's the problem. That's the concern about overcollection. And that's why when you, you hear someone as respected and as experienced as a Kevin Brock saying, listen, I love the FBI, but I'm not comfortable with what they did here. From what I can see, it doesn't fit the training, it doesn't fit the way my Colleagues and I used to do search warrants. We should all take pause and listen to that. This is not a partisan guy. This is a guy that was on the front lines of the FBI for three decades in a storied career. And he's like, this isn't the way we do it. It's an embarrassment to the FBI to think we grabbed passports, medical records. And, you know, one of the things people might say is, well, maybe it was a rushed uh, raid. It wasn't. They were there for nine hours in what Kevin Brock describes as the normal procedures. All the documents are laid out. And then you go, we shouldn't take that. Let's give that back. We shouldn't take that. We give that back. It doesn't appear that happened, even though medical records, passports, tax records and attorney-client privilege documents and pieces of clothing clearly are not things that were identified in the search warrant as a target.
2: Yeah, clearly. Boy, are there so many questions. Well, do me a favor, John Solomon, stay with us. We're going to have a lot more with you after the break. I want to get an update on also the threat, sadly, against this judge now for granting the special master uh, and also Talk about the hypocrisy when it comes to what's happening with a Trump versus a Biden, i.e. Hunter Biden, especially. This is the Rita Cosby
0: Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all-natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L. On Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024.
2: And welcome back to the Rita Cosby Show. We are discussing the Mar-a-Lago raid, the threats against the judge who granted a special master, And also the double standard of how a Trump is treated versus a Biden, such as hunter biden and we continue now with great journalist john solomon the founder of just the news john i gotta ask you about these threats first off against eileen cannon who granted the special master the democrats are going crazy because she's a trump appointed judge uh they don't bring out the fact that the guy who actually signed off on the search warrant actually tweeted anti-trump stuff and yet he seems to be okay by their standards but it's really scary they're just the vitriol john
3: Yeah, listen, this is uh, remarkable. You see people like a Norman Ornstein, who's a respected political scientist of AEI and other places, and calls the judge a partisan hack. This judge and her philosophy and concerns about the uh, taint teams, these filter teams, are shared by large numbers of the judiciary. I I wrote a story just a few days ago. It's very important for people to read this. This concept of a taint team, of a filter team, that the Justice Department could have an honor system and, and decide what privileged materials should and shouldn't be looked at, is kind of relatively new. And thus far, the courts have found egregious problems with the way the Justice Department conducts these teams. At least three appellate courts have cited serious concerns, and one of those cases is now pending before the United States Supreme Court. The United States Supreme Court is being asked to even check the legality, whether it's constitutional for the Justice Department to be both the collector of the evidence and the arbiter of what's privileged and not. And so uh, Judge Cannon's uh, ruling is actually very consistent with what other courts have done in other cases before President Trump. But because it's President Trump, you see one side jump on the bandwagon against it, and then the other side jumping on the bandwagon for Ford. Anyone who studied what the courts have been ruling on finds that Judge Cannon's concerns about the taint team are rooted in other court rulings recently. And let's keep in mind, the government has admitted to her, has admitted that they turned over privileged materials to the uh, investigative team that should not have happened. So they've acknowledged there's a problem in the honor system that the Justice Department was supposed to follow. That gives a judge very strong Evidence to, to do what she did. And I think the attacks on her simply ignore the evidence and play to the politics of this.
2: And speaking of politics, boy, we have been getting so many new details about the way that Hunter Biden's case has been treated or suppressed and elevated, of course, on the flip side, anything tied to Trump. What do you think is going to happen with Hunter Biden? Um, I mean, with the statements that came recently from Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook, where he basically said, yeah, the FBI told me Russian disinformation, we suppressed it. Um, Do you think we're ever going to see someone like him hold before Congress to answer some questions and say, well, what FBI agents specifically and what exactly were you told?
3: Absolutely. I've had uh, Congressman Comer, who would likely be the chairman of the Oversight Committee in the House, I've had uh, Ron Johnson, uh, Chuck Grassley on the podcast and on the television show recently, all of them to say, if Republicans are in control of one or more of the Houses of Congress, one or more of the chambers of Congress next year, that all of these people, including Hunter biden Comer was adamantly clear, we are going to subpoena and force Hunter Biden and James Biden to tell us what they did while Joe Biden was vice president, what they've been doing since President Joe Biden's been in the White House. So there is a determination that I haven't seen in past years. If you remember back when I was doing the stories at the Hill in 2019, Republicans in Congress were kind of mushy. I don't know. We shouldn't really call Hunter Biden. And they were scared to do it. Now, today, they are adamant they're going to do it. So Mark Zuckerberg is going to get uh, uh, asked to come, Uh, Hunter Biden, uh, Jim Biden, the president's. Uh, Brother, and I—an interesting concept uh, was uh, we had a couple of members of Congress on the show Friday. I think one of them was Andy Biggs, and he said a group of Republicans are thinking of restoring a a century-and-a-half-old rule. It's a rule that says that if someone comes before Congress and refuses to testify, and the Justice Department won't prosecute them for contempt like what they did with Steve Bannon recently—keep in mind it's a Democratic Justice Department— And a decade ago, the Democratic Justice Department refused to prosecute uh, witnesses before a Republican Congress, that Congress could go and defund that bureaucrat's job. Basically, they could say, Anthony Fauci, if you don't show up tomorrow, we're cutting your salary to $1, and they can do that. So the Republicans are not only thinking about who they're going to testify, uh, call to testify, they're thinking about enforcement mechanisms, assuming that the Biden Justice Department won't support a Republican Congress. So they're thinking about those sort of things as well.
2: Oh, that's really interesting, really creative, because the American public, they want answers. Um, And we just have a few minutes left. I want to ask you, what's the status of whistleblowers, and could we see uh, Timothy Tebow get called? (laughs)
3: It's certainly one of the people that uh, uh, the members of Congress and those likely to be chairman in a Republican Congress say is on the top of their list. Ron Johnson talked extensively about that the other day. Um, yeah, listen, whistleblowers are a difficult breed because they have significant protections. Remember, there was a whistleblower allegedly in the Ukraine impeachment, and he couldn't be called because the protection statutes uh, prevent that. So if a witness, uh, if a whistleblower does go, he's going to have to do it voluntarily, meaning he agrees to waive his protections. And the second part is the government has to agree to let that person, if they're still employee, testify. And I think those are the sort of things that are going to play out in a Republican Congress very early. There are going to be battles over witnesses. The 20 FBI whistleblowers are at the top of many Republicans' lists as people that want to be called and brought before Congress next year.
2: Yeah, for sure. Boy, uh, it's going to be a battle royale no matter who is in charge of the House and Senate, um, you can imagine. But especially if they do get control of the House I think we'll finally maybe get some answers to many of these questions. John Solomon, really great to have you here on the show, and thank you for all your great exclusive reporting. It is always spot on. Thanks, John.
3: Enjoy the conversation all the time
2: thank you so much john and everybody when we come back we will take you inside the fbi to find out how much politics are at play we will talk to james galliano a former fbi supervisory agent after the break and also our back the blue sand where we honor law enforcement
1: the rita cosby show on the red apple podcast network
2: And welcome back to the Rita Cosby show in tonight's Back the Blue segment, where we honor our great men and women in law enforcement and also their families. A wonderful story coming from Anderson, Indiana, where Anderson Police Chief Mike Lee recently nominated one of his officers, Tyler McKean, for the department's life-saving award for acting quickly in saving a woman's life at the scene of an accident. In the early afternoon of August 18th, a head-on collision occurred near an intersection and the crash left a 42-year-old woman Shelley Davis trapped in her vehicle and bleeding profusely. Officer McKean acted very quickly. He applied a tourniquet to Davis's arm and the hospital's director later confirmed that the woman's injuries included a torn artery and that she absolutely would have died on the scene if not for Officer McKean's swift action and great training. And also, by the way, Shelly Davis was with her family this past Labor Day weekend because of the swift actions taken by the officer. So clearly, this award nomination is well-deserved for him. And also, there are certainly many more out there who owe their lives to the heroic actions of good officers like Officer McKean. Well, tonight we are talking about the FBI's handling of the Mar-a-Lago raid, also the Hunter Biden investigation, and boy, so much more. And joining us now is James Galliano. He is a former FBI supervisory agent. He's also a security and law enforcement analyst. And uh, James, really great to have you here on The Rita Cosby Show.
4: Rita, it's good to join you again. It's been a while, and and I love the fact that I'm um butted up against the back to blue segment. I, that makes me really happy. What a, what a very neat segment that is.
2: And you know, James, we do it every night here on the show because, as you know, I'm an enormous supporter of law enforcement, and there are so many great men and women out there that work so hard and and they're silent heroes often, and I think it's important that we shine a light on them. And and I say bravo to that, don't you?
4: I, I do too, and I and I appreciate the fact that you do that. Uh, there are there are about eight hundred thousand law enforcement officers in the United States, and you're right; they are special men and women that always run to the sound of the guns and go in harm's way. So, so what? A, what a nice way to honor them.
2: Absolutely. It's my favorite part of the show, other than the guests, of course, uh, like you, James. And James, I want to talk with you first off, because we're talking a lot. There's been so much attention on law enforcement. And overwhelmingly, and I know you agree with this, um, you know, you look at the people that are, and especially FBI, as we're focusing a lot on tonight here on the show, overwhelmingly 99.99999% are great, incredible men and women. Uh, who are devoted to justice, devoted to fairness. Um, And there have been obviously a bit of politics involved with at least some of them, and we're going to get to that later in the show. But I want to just ask you first off your thoughts about some of the big news this week in the Trump case, particularly the fact that now a judge has granted a special master, sort of an independent party, to look at the documents that were seized by the FBI in that Mar-a-Lago raid. What's your reaction to that?
4: Well, Rita, I don't want to say that I was stunned to hear the news. It's it's clearly a win for uh, the former president. And as you pointed out, a special master is essentially a third party that comes in and reviews all the evidence that was collected at Mar-a-Lago during the uh, FBI's executed search warrant. And look, I think what's... What is I don't want to say unprecedented. This has happened before in other situations, but I mean this is obviously a case that's on the front of every newspaper and, and leads every every newscast. Um, is is not just the fact that you know the special master is going to be p- taking a look at at things that might be might be covered under let's say attorney-client privilege, but also executive privilege, and I think that's going to be. You know, that's something that the Department of Justice has, has already kind of cried foul about, and I think they're going to push back on that. That's the part that I was somewhat surprised about because executive privilege, that's a pretty wide aperture, and that gives you a lot more bandwidth than just attorney-client privilege. So definitely a win for, the, uh, for President Trump's team, and it will be interesting to see where it progresses from here.
2: Now, as you know, there have been, you know, special masters, these independent parties assigned before. But this is, as you point out, historic. We've got a former president. um, We've got, you know, the elections coming up the midterms and potentially soon after that or even before. Who knows? President Trump could potentially announce um, he's running. So we may have a future presidential candidate also um, in the mix of all of this. How um, just delicate and how important is it, I think, also to just get it right? And that's why I really felt personally it was the right decision, James, not only obviously for President Trump, but also important for the American public to have faith in the investigation.
4: Well, Rita, in your lead into this, I mean, you nailed it, and you suggested that 99.9 out to infinity uh, percent of law enforcement officers do the right thing. We, we certainly know that there are there are bad, there are corrupt, and there are um, you know law enforcement officers that are guilty of criminal acts. We know that and in the FBI particularly since 2016 um, the american public is, has has seen it laid bare that there were a number of instances where it's it's beyond just supposition but where the Nonpartisan, apolitical inspector general for the Department of Justice determined that there were agents and and senior level officials in the FBI, attorneys and agents, that kind of put their finger on the scale. And we all know the names the James Comeys and the Andrew McCabe's and the Kevin Kleinsmith's and the Peter Strzok's and the Lisa Pages. We all know those. Those names are, are almost ubiquitous now in, in essentially smearing and tarnishing an agency that I spent a quarter of a century in. But now we have, we have new individuals that are being brought to light now by whistleblowers. And I know that Senator Grassley, as, as well as Congressman Jordan, um, have spoken to some of these whistleblowers. And now we have new names, the Timothy Tibbolts, who is assistant special agent in charge that apparently suppressed the Hunter Biden laptop information prior to the election. And look, Reed, I'll wrap this up by saying this. This is a tough needle to thread. No one wants to do what James Comey did back in the summer of 2016, step before cameras and speak to an ongoing investigation um, that has not been adjudicated, as in mid-year exam, which was the Hillary Clinton classified information on a private email server case. No one wants that to happen. And I think that's what they tried to do with the Hunter Biden laptop case in 2020 by not allowing that to be the story or to be the margin of victory. And I think that's what they're concerned with now as well. We're going into the midterms. Anything that comes out of this investigation, and and look, I know we'll get into it. I disagree with the way that the Department of Justice used the FBI to conduct this search warrant. But is this going to have an impact on the elections? Well, we're going to find out in just a couple of months, Rita.
2: You know, you talked about um, that you disagree with the raid. And I think a lot of people do. Um, what was stunning, as you know, James, is when the attorney general came out and finally talked about it, Merrick Garland basically said, we use the least obtrusive ways. We use sort of, you know, and this was sort of like the only resort. I was thinking for a document search, this was what, you know, dozens of FBI, armed FBI agents showing up at a former president's home like that wouldn't get attention. What was your reaction just to the idea that they had to do that?
4: Yeah, that doesn't pass the smell test, and 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 here's here's why. I mean, to to argue that a search warrant is one of the least obtrusive methods for gathering evidence, that that is just that is just it's just inconceivable that you know the the attorney general, the person who's the the highest law enforcement official in the land, could even suggest that. Look, we know that the National Archives and Records um, uh, Association um, were in active conversation with Donald Trump's lawyers from about January and February of this year. We know that there was some back and forth, that there were some determinations, that some items that might be in the former president's possession needed to be secured better. We know that the attorneys were talking back and forth. For this to happen while these type of negotiations and discussions are going on, and that's taking out the fact that people are going to argue that the president, when he was president, could declassify anything he wants. Let's just take that piece out for right now it doesn't make any sense that the Department of Justice elected to go this route and why and I'll tell you on Friday afternoon at 12:12 12, 12 p.m. we know that a judge a federal magistrate in Florida signs the search warrant okay there's exigency attached to a search warrant you know you want to get items of evidence that might be destroyed or you know possibly lost you want to get them as quickly as possible Why then, Rita? And I'll ask this as a rhetorical question: Did the FBI wait until Monday morning? Friday it was signed. Monday it was executed. I cannot imagine um, in, in any of the times where I had search warrants. You know, I was the affiant and swore out a search warrant in front of a judge. Generally speaking, if it wasn't first thing the next morning or that night after it was signed, there had to be some type of case why you weren't going to execute it immediately because a search warrant is exceedingly obtrusive. You're coming to someone's house. If it's a knock and announce, you're knocking on the door. If they don't respond in an appropriate amount of time, you are taking the door down. And then you're going in to get what the search warrant supports might be in that place. So, Rita, it it, it defies credulity. I don't understand how they can make the case for, oh, my goodness, Pyongyang or Hanoi or Moscow or Beijing might have been, gotten it some of these classified, these top-secret classified documents, and then they wait three days before executing it. Rita – it just boggles the mind.
2: Yeah, I agree. And everybody, we are talking to a former FBI supervisory agent, also a law and security, uh, law enforcement and security analyst, James Galliano. I think one of the best law enforcement guys out there in the business. And James, you know, you talked about Um, Yeah, they come in and they're going through everything. And as you know, you've executed search warrants. You've overseen them. Um, We know now from President Trump, apparently they went through Melania's clothes. Uh, I think he says they went through Barron's clothes, too. Um, What's your thought? Is that typical procedure? And then remember that shot when they put out the itemized list that was taken from Mar-a-Lago? It showed these documents that it said classified or folders that said classified or top secret, but then they were next to magazines and Time magazine covers. Like, Like, to me, it looked like they took everything but the kitchen sink.
4: So there's generally speaking there's 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 three classifications for documents like this. There's top secret, there's secret, and then there's confidential. Now at the upper, upper upper echelon of top secret, there's what we call top secret slash SCI. That stands for sensitive compartmented information now those are the type documents th- those are nuclear secrets those are things that cannot cannot be shared anywhere or lost or stolen or you know mishandled if you will now in this instance your your question is where would they allow the agents to search well I, I'll give you this an example if, if I'm looking for a rifle an AR-15 that might have been used in a homicide i am not allowed to look inside a woman's ring box i'm not allowed to look anywhere where that rifle could not be concealed now when you're looking for documents that kind of opens the aperture up, and it allows you to look in in different places. You can look under the bed. Now, I have to believe that that the FBI and the Department of Justice had specific information about where these documents were located. They were supposedly in a particular room that the FBI and, and the DOJ um, were going to go to seize. Now. If they got there, and then they discovered that there might have been documents in another room, or they they had heard through their source, and I, and I understand in this case they had multiple sources said that they might be in different places. Look, again, it's 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 mind-boggling because you're thinking, you know, the president doesn't pack those boxes when he leaves the White House. The you know he has GSA, the Government Services Administration. They pack. Could something have been mispackaged? Should he have not been in possession of this or not possession of that? It's a fair question, Rita, to say, why are you looking in Melania's hat box or why are you looking in Barron's sock drawer unless they had specific information that that's where these classified documents might have been secreted? And I don't know that. I don't think any of us know that right now. But, yeah, that that still kind of defies credulity, if you ask me.
2: And uh, we were hearing this week that apparently they took medical records. Tax correspondence, accounting records, that was sort of part of the justification, uh, in part, uh, why this judge, the district judge, Eileen Cannon, said we should get a special master, an independent party in there. Uh, That sounds to me like a bit of a fishing expedition by the FBI
4: and and that's and that's a fair charge now now i will say this agents acting in good faith and i have to believe that the the men and women that were actually you know sent to do this conduct this raid were you know operating in a sense where they knew that every move they made was going to be scrutinized. Look, you know that anytime you go into somebody's house, I mean, it takes a lot for that to happen. There has to be probable cause that there is evidence of a crime in this location. You have to convince a federal magistrate or a federal judge that you need to go there to get that because there are no other less obtrusive ways to secure that. Now, having said that, when I've done, you know, search warrants or overseen search warrants being executed of drug dealers or mafia guys or white collar criminals or pedophiles, there are often times where you're trying to conduct the search and you inadvertently take something that later you realize needs to be returned. I know there was some hay that was being made that the president's passports were taken and some things were taken that should have been taken. I'm going to give the agents the benefit of the doubt here. I know that they were under, you know, a, a lot of pressure to get in and get out as quickly as possible, and, and those kind of things could happen. I don't believe that the individual agents that were there were specifically trying to take things to make another case. I think they must have been very, very careful. The attorney general guidelines tell them how they have to operate and, and execute a search warrant, and I cannot imagine that the agents would have gone rogue in that situation. That's, again, me just reading the judicial tea leaves.
2: All right. Well, stay with us if you could. Uh, We're going to have much more, everybody, with James Galliano, one of the best law enforcement folks out there, I think, a former FBI supervisory agent, continuing. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about whistleblowers, Hunter Biden, and a lot more, everybody. Stay with us.
1: This is the Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And... for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org.
2: Welcome back to the Rita Cosby Show. We are talking about the politicization of at least a few members of the FBI and the impact of it all, not just on the Mar-a-Lago raid, but Hunter Biden case and so much more. And we are continuing with the great former FBI supervisory agent, my longtime friend, and also a terrific security and law enforcement analyst, James Galliano. Um, James, let's get right to it with the Hunter Biden case because this was explosive uh, that we heard from Mark Zuckerberg, you know, of Facebook, saying, "Well, the FBI came to me right before the election and basically told me there'll be Russian disinformation, and we suppressed the Hunter Biden story." Uh what's your reaction as someone who spent, you know, such a huge career at the FBI?
4: You know, uh, again, Rita, I want to give the benefit of the doubt to the agents that actually went out and, you know, and and visited with the with the big tech folks to to advise that uh there was potential Russian disinformation campaigns out there because they are out there. They do exist. And and I believe that they were acting in good faith. Now, you know, I say that, and then uh, I kind of wince a little bit, and I go, but it it essentially provided high cover to big tech, which is obviously a, um, a, a an entity that 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 would like to see the left and, and Democrats succeed. Now I'm not saying everybody. I, I hate, and I'm always careful in not isolating the few to smear the whole. But when it comes to to behemoths, tech behemoths like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and places like that. I think that what that did was that gave high cover then to those, those entities to then suppress or reduce the amount of exposure that story was. Look what they did to the New York Post. I mean, the New York Post, they essentially censored, they throttled back the, the, the New York Post and the story on the Hunter Biden laptop. You add to that the 51 former Right, the 51 former intelligence community (IC) officials. You have the heads of former heads of the CIA and the NSA and and the DIA. All these senior officials, 51 of them, that come out and look. They threaded a needle, didn't they? They didn't say this is definitely Russian disinformation, but they said, boy, it walks like a duck, it quacks like a duck, it smells like a duck. We're not saying it's actually a duck, but boy, this is probably a duck. And that's how they, they hid behind that, that they didn't know that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. But it allowed them to get out in front of the story, and it allowed the current president, Joe Biden, to then say, look, even these senior level former officials are saying this is nonsense. It's nonsense.
2: Yeah, it allowed for him to dismiss it when it should not have been dismissed. And you look at like the double standards because they sure weren't saying, you know, it was Russian disinformation on Trump cases. So the double standards are just incredible. Um, I want to get to it because we have just about two minutes left, James, but I want to ask you. About the morale at the FBI. Um, we know that uh, Timothy Tebow, who is a senior agent in D.C., uh, resigned. Uh, so he says there's word of other things. But what do, what do you make of the fact that clearly there are some people that at least are being accused of playing politics?
4: Look, I think it's, it's a tough time to be an agent right now. I actually feel for my former colleagues, and, and why is that? I retired in 2016, and I think at that time, favorability ratings for the, for, for the FBI and the American public's eye were around 95% favorable. I think recently wow. Rasmussen Reports did, a, did a, uh, a survey, 53% of people don't trust the FBI. And look, when you look at the misapplication or the disparate treatment, the misapplication of justice, the way that they treated James Comey and Andy McCabe, the way that they treated Hillary Clinton, the way that they treated Hunter and Joe Biden, from the way that they're treating the former president, number 45. I think a case can be made that there's a reason why fully one half of this country doesn't trust the FBI. And it breaks my heart, Rita. You know I bleed blue and gold. I love the agency that I cut my teeth in, and I still am in contact with a lot of men and women on the job. But this type of partisanship, it's got to stop, and I don't think it will unless there's a house cleaning at the top. I believe it's time for Christopher Wray either to step down or be replaced. I think that's the only way that this can happen.
2: And literally a few seconds left. Do other people feel the same way within the FBI?
4: I think so. I think you're going to hear more of this when the whistleblower reports come out and, and some of these whistleblowers actually testify in front of Congress. Buckle your seatbelt.
2: Wow, 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 wow. Well, let's see when that happens because we deserve to get the answers. The former president certainly does. And of course, the American public has to have confidence in the great people in law enforcement and get the bad ones out. Uh, former FBI supervisory agent James Galliano, so great to have you here. And you got to come back on again soon. Thanks so much
4: definitely will Rita. thanks for having me on
2: and everybody stick with us there's going to be a lot more of the rita cosby show after the break we are going to take your calls about all of this hunter biden the whistleblowers the mar-a-lago raid and so much more 1-800-848-9222 1-800-848-9222
1: this is the rita cosby show on the red apple podcast network The Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
2: Another stunning night in Memphis, Tennessee. We've got some big breaking news. As the only way I can describe it is as a lunatic who is shooting people at random and also live streaming the violence on Facebook. The good news is he has been apprehended. But for the very latest on this big breaking news story, let's go to Memphis-based national radio host also, best-selling author Todd Starnes, coming from the mighty 990-KWAM. Todd, fill us in on this big, big news.
5: And, Rita, good evening. And, unfortunately, we're having to break into the Rita Cosby Show, which airs on KWAM uh, here in Memphis, your flagship station, uh, to provide live breaking news coverage, which we've been doing for the past several hours now. This shooting spree started around 4.30 this afternoon, Uh, There is video, uh, which we have at kwamradio.com, where the gunman walks into an AutoZone store and immediately starts shooting. Um, We understand that multiple people across Memphis, and we're dealing with at least five, maybe six or seven different crime scenes around the city, where this gunman just opened fire, carjacked people, We're hearing reports as many as 11 people may have been shot. At least two people have been killed. And people in the city are terrified. Rita, an entire city of 1.3 million people were literally put on lockdown tonight.
2: Wow. What do we know now um, about this guy? Because he has been apprehended. Apparently, what, he switched vehicles to, Todd? But what do we know about this guy?
5: Yes, yeah, switched vehicles multiple times. Uh, the guy is a 19 years old. His name is Ezekiel Kelly. This guy in 2020 was arrested and convicted of attempted murder, Rita. He was sentenced to three years in jail. This guy got out of jail in March of this year. Now, you can do the math and figure out what the hell was this guy doing out on the streets. We were asking this question about the guy who kidnapped and killed um, Eliza Fletcher over the weekend. He was supposed to be in jail, but he was walking the streets of Memphis. And, Rita, I'm telling you, our phones have lit up from people all over the city tonight who are enraged and are demanding that our city leaders do something to make sure these monsters stay behind bars.
2: You know, this is stunning, As we're talking about this, Todd Starnes, uh, first off, that he got three years for attempted murder. And as you point out, he even got out even sooner than that. But uh, that sounds like a very light sentence. And here he clearly felt emboldened to even be live streaming this. I mean, this is clearly a demented guy who never should have seen the light of day.
5: Yeah, I mean, I saw the Facebook live video. This was somebody who had who was completely Off the charts, nuts. Uh, Going around, he was in a rage. We don't know what set him off. We do know that the police captured him live. As a matter of fact, he was arrested across the state line in Mississippi, uh, the South Haven Police Department, which is a major. And again, this town, just to give you an idea of what we're dealing with here, Rita, when I was growing up, I lived in South Haven, Mississippi, a town of about 1,500 people. Right now, they have about 170, 180,000 people who live there, and most of them have fled the violence in Memphis over the years. Um, We are just – we're dealing with progressives who control our city, much like New York City, but unfortunately, we're not as large as New York City. So our crime is really concentrated, and people are really nervous and freaking out around here.
2: What's the message? Tell me again, too, uh, because we were talking this last night, Todd, about uh, the DA who wants to even raise the juvenile age. There, I mean, in the middle of what looks like a massive crime spree that's happening, not just in Memphis but really around the country. You've got a DA there who's talking about increasing the age for juvies.
5: That's right, to the to 25 years old, and uh, the question now is. What about this 19-year-old who's gone out there and has committed mass murder across our city? Is he going to be charged as as a juvenile offender? Uh, people need to understand, and the message is very simple, only 25 percent of registered voters bothered to go to the polls. 25 percent, Rita, if you do not go and you do not engage in the political process— then you get what you deserve. You get what you vote for. Elections have consequences. And I think that's what the people of Memphis are coming to discover. Unfortunately, there's really not much we can do about it now.
2: Yeah, wow. This is really stunning. You know, Todd Starnes, please keep us posted. Anything else that you hear, make sure you give us a buzz back uh, from the great KWAM. And everybody also take a look at, uh, for details, kwamradio.com, k-w-a-m-radio.com to get all the great details. We're so proud to have the show broadcasting there, too, as well, at our flagship there in incredible Memphis, a city that I love, and it's heartbreaking to hear this news. But thank goodness the guy has been caught. But please keep us posted, Todd.
5: Rita, just to give you an idea, we had one of our city councilmen on. He was calling from his home. He said, Todd, I'm sitting here with my wife on one side, my daughter on the other, and a pistol in my lap. This is America.
2: Wow. Todd, that is heartbreaking. And the thought, as you just talked about, 1.3 million people basically in lockdown tonight in Memphis, knowing that there was this lunatic who, again, never should have been out on the street. Uh, Todd, thank you so much for the breaking news and keep us posted, my friend. Thank you so much. Thanks, Rita. Thank you very much. Wow. Um, You know, we were just talking to Todd last night, as you mentioned, as Todd was just talking about, Eliza Fletcher case. That's the teacher. Again, there was a guy who was let out early uh, who is now suspected of murdering her. And now we have this guy tonight that Todd was just talking about, this uh, lunatic, Ezekiel Kelly, 19 years old. As Todd was mentioning, uh, only three years in jail is what he was sentenced to for an attempted murder And he gets out even early from that. And here he is walking the streets. And people are wondering, is this 19-year-old going to be treated like a juvie? You've got to be kidding me. This guy already has a rap sheet for attempted murder. He has killed now two people. And there are apparently nine other people uh, possibly clinging to life tonight after this brutal shooting spree that took place in Memphis. Um, To me, I'm so fed up. With soft-on-crime DAs just giving these people a pass, it is outrageous. What are your thoughts, everybody? This is heartbreaking. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. i am telling you, crime is on the ballot. Law and order is on the ballot this year. You got to, when you go to the polls in November, the most important thing is you got to think of who is going to keep you safe. And in that vein, by the way, a story that I couldn't believe today, and i got to share this with all of you here on the Rita Cosby Show. A man who didn't get a good night's sleep goes before a judge in L.A. And he said, for two nights straight, I haven't been able to sleep well in my jail cell. He was facing life in prison. And as a result of him not getting a good night's sleep, The L.A. County judge, who's got a whole big liberal track record, basically said, you know what, I'm going to give a mistrial. Because if you can't focus and you can't really feel like you're well-rested, I'm going to give you a mistrial. Now, the guy said part of the reason was because he had no bed or blanket for two nights at the L.A. County jail. So I want to hear your thoughts on this. Is that fair? Was that the right move by the judge? I mean, I'll tell you, when I first heard this, my first thought was, You got to be kidding me. This guy who is charged, 24 years old, a guy from LA County, charged with three counts of robbery, one count each of assault with a firearm, and felony threats. And he was said, This was day three of his trial. And basically, the judge said, You can't really focus. You're, you obviously are not able to focus. So, And this isn't fair. You should be able to have a good night's sleep because you have to be able to think clearly when you're making judicial decisions on your behalf in a trial. So for that reason, we will call this a mistrial. So what happens when a mistrial happens, guys? As you know, they basically throw out the case. And what could happen is either there could be a new trial or the prosecution could just say, nah, we're not going to do it again. But to me, when I first heard this, come on, why did they do a mistrial? I mean, you could have just said, you know what, we'll just defer it for a week and let's make sure we put him in a jail cell where he can get a good night's sleep. I do think that they deserve to have a good night's sleep. But give me a break. What kind of a soft on crime judge gives this guy a free pass and says, oh, no, we're going to give him a mistrial. We're going to give him a break because L.A. County should make sure that they have comfortable beds and blankets for their inmates. Who, again, three counts of robbery, one count of assault with a firearm, and felony threats. And this guy could have faced life in prison. And now he may be walking free. Let's see what happens. This to me is outrageous. 1-800-848-9222. one 800 848 What are your thoughts about these soft on crime judges, soft on crime D.A.s who seem to consistently give people pass after pass after pass? And also listen to this guy, the one who just got free that we just heard from Memphis, who had spent three years, less than three years of a three year sentence for attempted murder. And what does he do as soon as he gets out? He is now Filming on Facebook Live a shooting spree that put 1.3 million people on lockdown tonight in the beautiful city of Memphis. So it is time that we got to get tough, guys. It is just, to me, I, I don't think there's any more serious issue come November when you go to the polls as to what you need to look at. You need to say, you know what? Law and order. That is key. That is the priority. For any of us. And you have to feel safe on the streets. If you don't feel safe in the streets, in your home, at your business, wherever you are, nothing else matters. And the fact that these soft-on-crime DAs continue to function and put these people out on the street. I'd love to know who is the DA, again, in this particular case, who gave this guy only three years for attempted murder. You know, let's find out who they are and make sure that they don't continue in office How could you allow this? And who is this judge who lets this crazy guy just because he said, I didn't have a good night's sleep? Wow, wow! I mean, give me a break. Are you kidding me? What kind of an inmate? What is he expecting? Lobster and champagne and everything else, too? I mean, where are we at now in this kind of society? He should have just said, you know what? I will say he should have delayed it. And I mentioned that. I think he should at least have said, Yeah, we'll take a pause. Maybe we'll give him a 24-hour pause or a 48-hour pause or whatever the case is, you know? Give him a blanket, give him a pillow, and then he has no excuse. Because maybe it could have gotten overturned, you know, down the road or something else for saying that he couldn't focus or he couldn't whatever. But to all of a sudden say, oh, the poor inmate couldn't get a good night's sleep. Meanwhile, what about the people that he robbed? What about the people that, you know, he stuck a firearm to their head? Guess what? they're not getting a good night's sleep either. I don't think they've gotten a good night's sleep since this thug attacked them. Are they getting a you know, are they getting uh, extra justice? Are get they getting some special deal? I don't think so. One 848 9222 800 848 9222. Let's go to Charles in Queens on line 5. Go ahead Charles, your thoughts.
6: Yeah, hi. Great show as usual. Um what I want to say is that We're literally living in anarchy, and not enough people are really complaining enough. We're just not safe. But I also want to make a a suggestion to those running as Republicans to keep us safe. Instead of talking about keeping us safe, to mention a certain atrocity, whether it's Memphis or whatever, and then the question would be, will you be butchered next? Or people you love, your wife, your daughter, your son? Your mother, your father, maybe. Vote for me and you'll be safe. Just a suggestion.
2: No, that's a powerful phrase. And, and you know, the thing is, too, Charles, I am so sick of so many, a number of Democrats in particular. I mean, we've seen President Biden in the last, you know, few days saying, fund the police. And I'm thinking, right, this is the same guy who was supporting defund the police This is the same guy whose party has been, like, gutting police officers, vilifying police officers. And at that same time, they have been giving people like this a free pass, like these crazy nutty people. So when you've got crazy nutty people getting a free pass, and then you've got the gutting of police officers in terms of not supporting them, uh, chastising them, throwing water at them, cutting the department, you know, in terms of staffing – Um, That is that's a formula for disaster. And that's a formula for tragedy for any particular city. And we're seeing it in cities across the country, great cities like New York, great cities like Memphis, um, great cities across the country. Right now, uh, it's like a free for all. And these guys feel emboldened. Like it makes me sick when Todd was just talking and sharing this with us of what this guy was doing, the fact that he's live streaming it. And just walking around from different place to different place has a whole city, one of the biggest, most beautiful cities, you know, a beautiful city of Memphis at a lockdown. Can you imagine the whole city? There were APBs out tonight, um, basically telling everybody to stay inside, that there was a killer on the loose. Can you imagine, uh, I mean, that we've gotten to that? And you think about the formula that's led to this moment, and that is shameful. Uh, Charles, thank you very much. We're going to continue with your calls, everybody. one 800 8489222 and you are listening to the Rita Cosby show.
1: This is the Rita Cosby show on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
2: And we are talking about soft on crime judges. And also soft on crime DAs. It's something that we talk a lot about on the show. By the way, I also want to say happy 100th birthday to WABC Radio. Because earlier tonight, uh, many of my great colleagues at WABC, and of course we broadcast the flagship station WABC. You just heard we also broadcast out of Memphis and so many great cities across the country. But WABC, where we're based here in New York um, celebrated 100 years, and it has never been better. It's just been an incredible station with an amazing history, all the way back from interviewing the Beatles and Bob Grant and so much more. Um, and it was just an honor to be a part of a fun party earlier tonight. Um, and of course, John and Margot Katsimatidis, who own Red Apple Media and WABC. We love you, we appreciate you. And you are the best, best in the business. And it's such an honor to be a part of the great WABC 100 years. Think about that. Happy birthday to awesome WABC Radio. And also the owner, John Katsimatidis. It's his birthday today, too. How great is that? Anyway, let's take your calls, everybody. Let's go to Tim. Uh, line 5. Tim, your thoughts about all these soft on crime DAs? Well, um Yes, the DAs are soft on crime.
6: I don't think the news is reporting um, accurately what's going on in the country these days. You have a caller from Forest Hills who called and made a statement that why are these police officers not doing anything? Why are they just standing around? He's not getting the information that he needs to get to be informed from the news media. And that is one of the one of the problems. I mean, it's not getting out there that hey, mm-hmm. these are the problems, and mm-hmm. these are what needs needs to be these issues need to be addressed. Soft soft on crime DAs and so forth, defunding of police. It's not getting out there who's doing the defunding the police. It's not being made known who's doing this. It's a source back. Um, uh, uh, source backed um, uh, procedure process being done here, and these are de- these are Democrat, um, th- it's a Democrat um platform, and it's got to be put out there. People are getting killed at, in Memphis, these two cases here. Oh,
2: it's heartbreaking, and and it's, you know, it's, Tim, it's, Tim, it's you, brought, you brought up a great point too, Tim, because you're right, it's George Soros who is spending. In many cases, a million bucks. Uh, he did on Alvin Bragg in New York. Uh, he did on George Gascon in L.A. Um, he did on Chesa Boudin, who got the boot, thank God, there in San Francisco. But you're right, there is a pattern on the guy in Philly, to Krasner. Uh, he spent a million bucks on him. And he believes in that crazy philosophy. And you're right. Um, the problem is, I mean, we talk about it, and there are other media who talk about it. Um, But you're right, it depends where you get your news and where you get your information. And sometimes, Tim, when I am looking at some of these other places, I'm like, what are they talking about? Like, what kind of planet are they on? You know, they're not almost even talking about crime. And you can see it in every city across this country. I mean, New York, uh, anywhere in New Jersey, you know, uh, Memphis, Seattle, you name it, all around the country. There are huge issues, but they're ignoring it. Um, and that's because it looks like some of the leaders don't want to do anything about it. But I'm proud that we're talking about it. That's why it's important to be educated, and it's important to vote.
1: The Rita Cosby Show. The Rita Cosby Show presents support our. Human-
2: And in tonight's support, our hero segment, which I love doing every night here on the Rita Cosby Show, where we honor our great military and their families. A beautiful story coming from West Virginia, where Eldridge Cecil Ward spent his 22nd birthday, by the way, fighting for his country. Eighty years later this past month, Ward celebrated his 102nd birthday, surrounded by family and friends at the Stucco Community Center in Coal City, West Virginia. Ward enlisted in the U.S. Army September 17, 1942. As a U.S. Army Specialist 4th Class, Ward served throughout the Asiatic Pacific Theater in locations including the Philippines and also the Solomon Islands. Ward's unit was responsible for design, purchase, and repair of U.S. Army uh, weapons, ammunition and also explosives, operating boats to resupply military ships, a very, very important role. And by the way, according to the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, as of a year ago when they actually had an update, and we will get another one on this shortly, but as of a year ago, of the 16 million Americans who served in World War II, like Cecil Ward, just 240,000 we're still alive again as of last year, and we can never say thank you enough to our greatest generation. And as many of you guys know, um, the U.S. military rescued my father in World War II, so I am forever, forever grateful. And by the way, everybody, I want to let you know that I am proudly supporting the Tunnels to Towers 5K walk run in New York City again this year. In fact, at our WABC 100-year gala, I saw Frank Siller, of course, who is the founder of this incredible organization. And the walk takes place on Sunday, September 25th. And everybody, I need your help. Help us remember those who were lost on 9-11, again, the anniversary right around the corner, as we retrace FDNY firefighter Stephen Siller, Frank Siller's brother, his final footsteps, and we're going to do it together. It's simple to support my team this year in the Tunnels to Towers 5K walk run. Here is what you do you go to walk.w. Sorry, walk. Rita Cosby walk. and you donate to my team. All the proceeds go to tunnels to towers.com. Foundation. And you have seen the great work that they do. They help so many in the emergency services, so many veterans also to get those homes. Um, So the money goes to such an important, powerful mission. And I am trying to raise the most money here on the Red Apple Audio Network. So I hope that you will help me from across the country. All of you see their incredible commercials and see the lives that they are changing and the homes that they are refitting and welcoming these veterans after they have sacrificed so much. So thank you all for your support, because together we're going to support America's Heroes with one of the largest 5K walk runs in New York City, one of the biggest walk runs across the country. And again, go to walk.ritacosbyonline.com, walk.ritacosbyonline.com, and donate today to this incredible organization, Tunnels to Towers. They are are the best well we are speaking of course about justice and i am just disgusted when i see that this judge this soft on crime judge in la and to me this is just so indicative of the system you've got this soft on crime judge who has a very liberal record and he is living true to form because a prisoner comes up before him it's a guy who is facing life in prison potentially he is a twenty-four-year-old guy charged with three counts of robbery and one count each of assault with a firearm and felony threats. He's on day three of his trial and he said to the judge, you know, wow, wow, I couldn't get a good night's sleep, um, that there wasn't a bed and there wasn't a blanket in my cell at the LA County job at the LA County jail. And so the judge listens to the guy uh, the, as a guy plays the violin. I'm just being you know, <laughs> complaining there. Oh, judge, please, I'm begging you, please. I didn't get a good night's sleep. What does the judge do? The judge in this particular case says, oh, you didn't get a good night's sleep? Why didn't you get a good night's sleep? And he said, well, there wasn't any blankets. There wasn't a bed in my cell. I, I don't know. I have a hard time. You know, Yes. I don't want to be inhumane. But all I think about is like Joe Arpaio. And I love that guy in Arizona who used to make the inmates, especially the ones that did tough stuff, wear pink underwear. You know what? It's like, sorry, you did a crime, you pay a price. You know what? I, I Maybe maybe you shouldn't have like a, a down blanket. Maybe you shouldn't have like, you know, a beautiful, you know, uh, bloomingdale's uh bed set on your bed you know i mean give me a break so the judge listens to the guy playing the violin complaining about the conditions in the jail cell and what does he do he declares a mistrial says oh this poor inmate we feel so bad for this poor inmate we have to do something to be sympathetic to him now here's where i come on this and i want to hear what all of you think on this I do feel, yeah, you should give somebody a bed and you should give them a pillow. You should give them a blanket. Um, They do have the right to represent their views in court and be able to be aware and get a good night's sleep. But how many of us have worked without a good night's sleep? You know? How many times do you not have a good night's sleep? And does someone say, oh, we're just going to cut you slack? You were facing life in prison. And now this soft on crime judge. Tells the guy, we're going to declare a mistrial. So basically, everything starts over for this guy. So two things could happen. One, he could be walking free, and he may be right now, for all we know, because of this. Or there could be a new trial. Now, the prosecution has to make a decision. Do they just not pursue it, or do they go after it again? I say go after it again. And just make sure you give him a bl- you know a blanket and a bed. You know, I mean that's it. So there's no other excuses. But how amazing is this that the judge didn't say, you know what? Maybe we should just delay the trial like a few days. Let's just make sure he gets a bed, make sure he gets a blanket. Then he can complain that he can't like say, oh, you know, wow, wow. There's problems here at the court. You know, there's problems. I can't think. I can't focus. But this soft on crime judge. Throws out the case and declares a mistrial. So the guy is basically, you know, tiptoeing through the tulips. I mean, this is crazy. All I could think about are the victims of this guy. Again, we're talking three counts of robbery, one count each with an assault with a firearm. So he assaulted somebody with a firearm, separate counts, felony threats. This is not a nice guy. And what about the victims of his crime? Did they get a break? For some reason, I don't think that they have had a good night's sleep since this guy attacked them viciously. So why do they not have a say in any of this? Why didn't he just delay the case by maybe a day or two? That's what I think he should have done. But it's this crazy left-wing lunatic soft on crime approach that so many judges and so many DAs across this country have. And it is definitely damaging our city streets. Because what's happening is it's creating this revolving door where people just feel they can commit the crimes over and over and over again. And guess what? You know that the word gets through the jail system. Hey, maybe get rid of your blanket or get rid of your bed. And maybe you can go scot-free, too. What kind of a message is that one? one 848 9222 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222 two two what a zoo let's go to ted and huntington line seven ted your thoughts about all this
7: hi rita how you doing i'm and, good. Uh, i'm a big fan of yours you do a great job and uh i i just want to say that that soft on crime judge that that is insanity there's absolutely no excuse for that whatsoever that is total madness uh beyond far left i i just don't get it and like and as you So when so correctly pointed out, where's the justice for the victims? Uh, There is none. Um, So I don't see how on earth they couldn't reconvene. You know, the prosecutors should reconvene and make sure this jerk gets a couple nights sleep and just go ahead and go for it. But the real question, everyone, we're all talking about how Soros funds these DAs. A couple of your previous callers mentioned it. You mentioned it, obviously. And we know that, that he funds these left-leaning DAs and and so forth. Why is he doing that? I'm, I'm trying to. Yeah, you I'm know what? You know what? I, I like, know it's almost. Motivation? Ted,
2: it's almost inconceivable. I agree with you. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that he just has this crazy mindset of that, you know, like that criminals basically have, you know, equal rights to everybody else. And I'm sorry, if you commit a crime, you've lost some of your rights because you took away somebody else's, you know. Yeah. and and yes. But he comes from this philosophy that he thinks that this is a, a more just country, a more just representation if you do all these things and if you diminish crime and if you – And, you know, some people will take it further and say that he's almost trying to create, you know, like a dissolution of society. I mean, if you listen to some people, they'll believe that. Um, And I don't know. I don't know what his, you know, objective is, but he clearly is making a concerted effort. And what's so fascinating about it, Ted, is he's going to these local races, too, because before all this, you know, and I've covered politics, Ted, a long time, many decades I yep, never, yep. you know, you never really talked about the DAs that much. You never really, you know, there wasn't a lot of focus. But quietly, George Soros, with all his money, was quietly yes. funding all these DAs. Like I it was, heard that, yeah. 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 Isn't that interesting, Ted? That it was sort of like, you know, it was kind of under the cloak of darkness for years.
7: Yeah, that should be. You're absolutely right, Rita. And that I think, and uh, well put. And I think that is what needs to be exposed more. It's, it's uh, of course. The mainstream media doesn't talk about that, but I can't figure it out for the life of me. You know, you know, living in New York, you flip the channels two, four, five, seven. They don't really talk about the high rise in crime. They don't talk about things like this. It's, and yet, a lot of these people live here and they live in the city and, and are seeing the crime. Crime's up 38%. The New York Police Department released the statistics as of August 28th. Year over year, they're up 38%. And that's up 38% from de Blasio. I mean, he's looking at the Blasio's numbers, which were horrible, and a lot of it has to do supposedly with Alvin Bragg, and him being a you know let them go free type guy and whatever. I guess I guess the Mayor Adams can't get his control of him. I, it's over my head. I don't understand it. But for the life of me, this thing with Soros, you just keep hearing this over and over again. And why he would want that? And you know what? He'd be the first guy. The first guy. I'm sure he has security with him. But if he was alone. And there was trouble. He'd be the first little baby to pick up the phone and dial 911 and pray that the police came to help him real quick. If he was about to get mugged or hurt, God bit, or something was going to happen to him, you know he'd want the police helping him or his his loved ones in two seconds.
2: thousand percent. And by the way, um, just as you said, you know, it's like I don't understand why he is still in office. I mean, he should be removed. It's the governor's responsibility to oversee him. Um, You know, and Eric Adams, um, you know, he doesn't feel like he can really criticize him. I mean, his his uh, police commissioner has made criticisms just of the system, you know. But um, but I agree the fact that he is still there at a time where crime is skyrocketing is outrageous. And and these and these and these funding of these liberal D.A.'s. Uh, has got to stop. And and now people need to go. When they go to the voting booth, they have to look at, like, who are the DA candidates? Um, because, by the way, Alvin Bragg, for example, he did a debate. He did a debate, I remember, at WABC. And I remember when he was debating, he was talking about all these crazy things. And we're thinking, oh, gosh, this guy will never get picked. And now you're like, oh, my God. You know, he did get picked. Um, and it's basically this is what he's campaigned on. So if people tell you who they are, Uh, believe them. And sadly, um, many victims of crime are seeing the revolving door. And I think he is very much responsible. He and other uh, Soros-funded DAs across the country. Ted, thank you very much. Uh, Let's go to Mike in Cincinnati. Mike, you're here on the Rita Cosby Show. Go ahead, Mike.
8: Hi, Rita. Uh, Solinsky's uh, Rules for Radicals is what uh, uh, George Soros is going by. And, uh, Uh, Further than that, the the legacy uh, media is just helping out uh, like there's no tomorrow. Even if they reported on these terrible goings on down in Memphis tonight, uh, uh, they're not going to mention that that goes on every night in every major city uh, uh, in the places where it doesn't count. And uh, they're not going to even suggest why it might all be going on. And uh, to even add to that, uh, Hillary tonight has expressed that she's not going to be running for president because uh, she's going to support someone who is going to uh, respect uh, our laws. And I think that's perfect explanation is why she's not going to be running.
2: Uh, oh, that's interesting. That's a, that's a good touche there, Mike. You know, Mike, the other thing she also said was all this stuff about my servers is hogwash? I mean that that like when I heard that, I was thinking, boy, she's drinking. You know, I mean because she was like, I don't know, you know, all the server stuff. That's just one big fallacy. That's just one big lie. It's not a lie. You even had James Comey, uh, you know, the the head of the FBI, coming out and he recited everything she did. You know, because she doesn't want to be compared. By any means, you know, or or when people say, wait a minute, what she did was even, you know, many more documents than what they're talking about with President Trump. You know, she wants us to think it's only Trump um who's had anything to do with classified materials. It's le- it's just like the Dems in this whole like, oh, we never said defund. Oh, I never had a server in my basement. I never did this. I mean, it it's it is the definition of insanity that they think that we're gonna forget about years upon years of years. And it just shows to me how political and how shameless they are that they won't even admit that, yeah, I did say this. It's on videotape. I mean, it's all over the place. You know, it's like, you know, over and over. And we've got even Biden talking about, like, defund the police. We've got many people talking about the servers. We've got her apologizing for having the servers with the classified documents. You know, but that's not good enough. You know, she wants us to pretend it never, ever existed, and it's just outrageous. And and the fact that now they're doing the finger pointing of Trump, saying, "Oh, he has uh, classified documents." Oh, that's like the worst thing in the world. Um, you know, shame on them too. I mean, that is just ridiculous. They are just so trying to do anything they can to minimize him because they know that he. Is still a political threat. He is still wildly popular, and he still he can fill the stadiums. Did you see that shot of Biden the other day? It was like Biden and like four of his neighbors at a rally. You know, you know. I mean, they see the pictures, you know, and they're thinking, God, what are we gonna do? Uh, maybe we can raid his home. You know, let's do something, anything. He's filling stadiums. You know, we only get our neighbors and uh, and maybe be uh, one cousin. 1-800-848-9222.
1: The Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
2: And we are talking about soft on crime, DAs and judges. Um, first off, this horrible case, as we've talked about, taking place in Memphis tonight. Thank goodness, this 19-year-old, Is now arrested, but he was going on a shooting spree that basically had the entire city, beautiful city of Memphis, Tennessee in lockdown. 1.3 million people tonight and a 19 year old who has a past who was in prison uh, for attempted murder and got out early less than three years. Talk about a cakewalk. And now he has fortunately been arrested. But what a uh, just terrible, terrible scenario. Thank goodness for the beautiful people of Memphis uh, that this guy has been apprehended. But uh, so far, as Todd was saying at the top of the show, uh, two people killed and potentially uh, maybe up to 10 more injured. A very, very serious night there. And, of course, it comes after the case of Eliza Fletcher, too, that happened in Memphis, that teacher whose body was found, another repeat offender who never should have been out. Um, and then this comes, as I'm talking about this case, that is just sort of emblematic, too, in an L.A. County jail where the inmate said he didn't have a bed or a blanket for two nights and didn't sleep well. Wah, wah. And so the judge granted a mistrial to this guy who was three counts of robbery, one count each of assault with a firearm and felony threats and had a rap sheet even before that, too. And yet the judge said, we're going to just throw out the trial because it's completely unfair that you didn't get a good night's sleep. That is insanity. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Norm, line six. Norm, your thoughts about this?
5: Yeah. Hi, Rita. Yeah, What's the name of this guy in L.A.? Do you know?
2: Uh, I'll find it. The judge, here it is. Uh, It is Daniel Lowenthal.
5: Daniel Lowenthal. Okay. And, you know, I was telling your screener, yeah, I, I need a blanket. I had a rotten sleep last night, so... You know, I don't know. Maybe tomorrow I just won't train anybody or something like that. I don't know. But, I know. Uh, is it? Eli-
2: I was at Linus, who used to always have the blanket to remember. I was yeah. like, but I, can you imagine, like, the judge goes, oh, I feel so bad for you. And if you look at this, is like mm-hmm. this guy is like taxpayers taking care of the guy. And yet right. this judge, Judge Lowenthal, Norm, scolds scolded uh the sheriff's department apparently in mm. the case too we also said how dare you you have to make sure that inmates are getting a, a bed and blanket and are taken well taken mm-hmm. care of i mean come on norm this is insanity
8: well i just think about his victims i am sure they had uh, rotten nights sleep you know and uh uh you know all these crime victims that are out there i'm sure they have a horrible night's sleep but uh and now um, the good people of L.A. are going to have a rotten night's sleep. This guy's walking around out there, I'm sure.
2: So. Yeah, I know. Isn't that amazing? Just like you said, it's like, you know, he now basically, and now they have to decide, do they want to retry the guy? Not only that, mm-hmm. you think it's taxpayer money paying for him. So, you know, and now to, to go through another trial and all this stuff because the judge couldn't do the right thing of just delay it a day or two. Get him a good night's sleep so he can't make any excuse. But to me, this is just, it's insanity. Norm, thank you very much, my friend. Let's go to John, line seven. John, your thoughts real quick. Hey, John, Peter, are you there? I
8: think that we should take a, yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yep, you're there. Okay. I think they should take away qualified immunity
4: from these judges and district attorneys and let them be accountable civilly for the decisions that they make. They did it to police officers. Why not judges and district attorneys?
2: Yeah, you know what? I think that's a really interesting idea. So that way they could be sued potentially if they do X crime. I mean, especially if there's a pattern and especially if they're funded by somebody like George Soros. There are so many questions, guys. Have a great night.
1: The Rita Cosby
0: Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network.